Hey everyone, welcome back to the MM Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. And today we got a lot of news to break down. Uh, there has been quite a bit that's gone on uh in the last week as well, as we continue a very busy uh end of November and now we're into early December uh for this season. And uh there's a couple signings and even a trade. I feel like this is maybe earlier than we see the first couple of trades usually happen, but uh, th- that was the, the oldest thing I think to take place. So let's get into that. And uh, it is Nikita Zadorov going to the Vancouver Canucks of all teams. Uh, and in return, the Calgary Flames get a fifth round pick that is con- conditional and a 2026 third round pick from Vancouver. Uh, the fifth rounder was Chicago's uh, and the condition on that is Calgary will receive the best of the fifth rounders pick uh fifth round picks that Chicago owns. So I'm assuming there was probably a condition on whatever trade sent it to Vancouver that Chicago has multiple ones. Um the Canucks had also moved out Anthony Beauvillier uh two days earlier. Uh, in what I didn't consider a very big move, but that cleared $4 million off the books, uh, which basically allowed them to turn around and make this Sidorov deal. Uh, so we can talk about that briefly, but I, like Beauvillier is not a huge player. Oh, and sorry, this is basically a three-way trade because the fifth that they sent to Calgary was in that Beauvillier, Beauvillier trade. 2024 fifth round pick from Chicago conditions Vancouver will receive the best uh, fifth that Chicago owns. So interesting landing spot. I, I think it makes sense in terms of just with what Vancouver's doing. I, or sorry. It makes more sense now seeing how hot Vancouver has started the year. Uh, we can kind of debate back and forth how legit they are. But if you would have told me that this would be the team buying on Zadorov two months ago, I would have been laughing my ass off. Yeah, it would have sounded pretty ridiculous. But like, I expected to hate this deal. And I like I don't think it's this like huge slam dunk win or anything. But honestly, like... It was so cheap, I think it's hard to have a problem with it. And when people talk about it at the deadline, they'll justify, oh, like the team played well, so we want to reward them. And then they'll eat like a first round pick and a second round pick and a third round pick. This is the, <laughs> if you want to reward people for a good performance, like this is more the style trade that I would be going for. Like at cost, I don't love Zadorov, but I think it's hard to be super upset by this. Like as long as you understand that he's, it's a strong defensive defenseman that doesn't offer really much offensively. I think this is a pretty good deal. Yeah, this was way better than I was expecting for the cost uh, from Vancouver's standpoint. And yeah, I think it's just fine both ways. Like for Calgary, yeah. you get a third and a fifth for a guy that clearly was not going to resign. And honestly, it's probably better to have him out of the locker room, given what his agent had said about demanding the trade out earlier in the year. And yeah, for Vancouver, you, they, you know, they need some defensive help. And that is one thing that Zadorov can definitely help with. He is a number five defenseman in the league, maybe a number four, but like, you probably don't want him to be your number four, but yeah, as you said, Nikita Zadorov type players go for a first round pick or at least a second and a prospect all the time at the deadline for a third and a fifth. I really do not hate this. Yeah, it's. It's one of the most reasonable rentals I think we've like literally ever seen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially like a pure rental like this, because this early in the year, you usually see trades of like player for player with two guys that just aren't really working out or whatever, right? Like I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a team buy this early into the season. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy to buy this early in the season. Obviously, in a way, the later the better because you get more certainty. But also from like a, a gelling in the locker room and whatnot perspective, I I don't hate the idea of getting out in front of this. And I don't think this price was ever going down unless he got injured. So that's the only real risk you're taking. Yeah, absolutely. I love this process, to be honest. I think teams should do this more often because you're definitely right in terms of the longer you wait, the kind of more real you know you are, if that makes sense. But the reason I have no problem with them doing it this early, let's say they just absolutely fall off a cliff. You know, they come shattering down to earth the opposite way where it's like, they're not even going to make playoffs. Like just an absolutely 18 wheeler off a cliff, you know, to, to use a term that's familiar in the Toronto market. Um, Classic. If that is the case, by February or March, when the trade deadline is, you can flip him again. True. Yeah. You know, like as long as they're not giving this guy some big extension right away, I, I think that's the only way I would sour on this move because yeah, like if, if they're in a position where they go, Oh man, the team has not performed now for the past two months since we brought this guy in. I can't see the price going, as you said, going down for him, even if he's not playing the best. Yeah, like, especially because he has put together multiple years of, at the very least, competent play. Somewhere between competent and and good, we'll say. I don't know exactly where he lands on there. That's for question. That's a question for people other than me. But, like, he's done it for, you know, he's got a couple thousand good minutes in recent history. Even if he does have uh, 500 bad minutes in Vancouver, somebody's definitely talking themselves into it at the deadline. This is a, what is he, 6'6"? Strong yes, defensive, seven, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Strong defensive left, like he's left-handed. I guess that's kind of a knock, but like a six-six strong defensive defenseman at the deadline. Even if he struggles this year, you're getting a third for that. At which point, you might have risked a fifth-round pick unnecessarily. Boohoo. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm not gonna lie. One of the things I'm really impressed by is the fact that. um they got a fifth for Beauvillier, which we can maybe get into in a second. But yeah, from Zadora's point of view, I, I can't tell if he's overrated or underrated. Um, I, I think he's probably overrated by the general public, you know, like, and some of that maybe is just the market we're in. Obviously, we're near closest to Toronto. The natural link was there for Toronto. And we heard people say, oh, like, because he is that tall, we need this guy or they need to go get this guy for the grit and the sandpaper and all that crap. Right. And it's like, well, no, he's not going to fit. He's not going to run your second pair or anything like that. But also, like, his numbers are pretty solid, especially if he's going to be slotting onto a third pair on a team. Like, really solid, I I will say. I think he could play on a second pair. You probably so want too. someone good to pair with them. Like you'd want some offensive pop, preferably from your second pair, which would have to come from the right side. But I don't think it's unreasonable to call him a top four defenseman. No, I I agree. Like his isolated impact is strong. His RAPM charts are all, you know, again, just very defensively sound. He doesn't bring anything offensively, but that's okay. Like if you can, and, and this defensive in, impacts like isolated have been strong for 
a very long time, basically his whole career. And there's been yeah. a couple of years here and there uh, that, you know, they haven't been quite as strong, but, and it, every time is just an absolute eyesore offensively. But again, like there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, exactly. And it's also worth noting for as kind of pure defensive defenseman that he is, it's not like he's this black hole offensively either. I don't think he is going to individually create offense, but he has played a style such that his team hasn't been horrific offensively when he's been on the ice either. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, just looking at his isolated impacts, they vary a lot. There was a mid-year of his career who's like minus 9% in terms of expected goals for multiple years in a row. Years. Yeah. Uh, recently, it's been closer to about even. Like, oh, minus 1, minus 0. 0.7, minus 0. 0.7, minus 1.5. So like, yeah, as you kind of said, it's not like he's been just incapable of doing anything offensively. You just shouldn't expect anything, really. Yeah. Don't expect individual offensive plays from him, but you can still expect the team to function offensively with him on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like I honestly, I like this move a lot more than I thought I would. I really and and now that I'm looking at it, I think I'm probably was lower on Zadorov than I than I maybe should have been. Me um, too. I do think for teams like um Toronto, this is not the end of the world. Uh, there was a big, you know, in a couple of markets, there was, how did we not offer more for, more than that? Um, and I, I kind of understand it, but also like if you're a team like Toronto, which we'll get to in a, a little bit here, but like, I still think they'd rather Chris Tanev than Nikita Zadorov, you know, even if the cost is a little higher. Yeah. They, or a lot, a lot higher. A lot yes. for Toronto too, which I think it matters less for Vancouver. Off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, Zadorov plays the left and right, even though he's left-handed, but they have Tyler Myers, LOL, as their right D, and Philip Ronick as well. Um, and then No Juleson, and then Ian Cole plays both sides as well. So that top pair of Hughes and Ronick, which is amazing this year, like just outstanding, uh, takes a lot of the minutes. And then I would assume, I, I haven't got to watch any Zadorov um with Vancouver, but I would assume he would either play. God, I kind of hope they don't have a second pair of him and Tyler Myers, but that I, might they be tried what it, it is. I don't know if they're sticking with it, but I saw it on Twitter that they at least tried it. Oh, geez. Because, yeah, they have Carson Susie on LTIR, Tucker Pullman on LTIR. Um, so I, I don't know if those guys will be coming back at any point, but... Um, it, it's some much needed depth for this blue line. If this is a team that truly wants to, you know, make a, a run for the playoffs and see if they can even win around when they get there. And with how their stars are playing again, I just, I, I don't really blame them, which is funny because this, this is usually a move that I feel like I would be very down on, but I yeah. don't think this was a bad decision by Vancouver. Yeah, me too. Usually it'd be like, this is, I was ready to shred this trade when he was on the trade block, but. It seems at worst reasonable. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the only thing maybe I would say for Vancouver is for a team that is not in a position where they are planning to, like they're not a cup contending team, and I don't really foresee how they become that over the next couple of years. They already don't have their second this year or their fifth. They don't have their third for the next, uh, they have their third in 2024, but they don't have a third round pick in 2025 or 26. 
and they've traded away a seventh in 2026, which isn't a big deal. But like they have just already used a lot of assets for a team that wasn't expected to be good coming into the season. Um, and I, I kind of just wonder how they approach that going forward because it's like you want to keep rewarding them or whatever, but it's like also you probably shouldn't be spending all these assets to become the 12th best team in the NHL or whatever. Yeah, they might have to just let this team ride at this point. But I mean, it's worked so far. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Like they continue to play above their expectations, I would say. Like I, I thought they would oh, yeah. kind of cool down a little bit and they're still just plugging along. Like they had a three goal comeback against the Devils last night. Now they lost in overtime, but to get a point out of that is still phenomenal. Yeah, 100%. And like their underlings, like their XG and stuff is getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think there's lots of reasons for optimism. Even if, you know, from a points perspective, they probably will cool off from this pace, even as their XG and stuff like that gets better. But yeah, I think they're a playoff team at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're 10 points up on the next team in their division in Calgary. Um, Vancouver's third. Calgary, ironically, is selling and is 10 points behind them. Um, and then Seattle is 11 points behind that. The Oilers, are the, sorry, the Ducks have 20, so that's 13 points behind Vancouver, and the Oilers have 19, so 14 points. Uh, the Oilers are on a W4, 7-3-0 and in their last 10, so they've turned it on, but they need to keep going. Like They need multiple four-game winning streaks in the span of 12 games or so uh, just to get even close to the hunt again. Yeah, it's insane how far out they are already. The Canucks just have to go 500 out, basically. Oh, yeah. Like, the, if the Canucks go 500 the rest of the way, they're comfortably into a playoff spot. Yeah. That's nuts. Yep. Well, And that's the thing of, like, and, you know, we don't need to talk about Ottawa too much, but that's what's so frustrating as a Senators fan, where it's like, well, they're 10 and 10, and, like, they're 6-4 and 0 in their last 10, and they're using this as, like, a moral victory. It's like, that's not good. Like, this yeah. is supposed to be the time that you can put the, you know, the the pedal down here and actually get points. And instead it's like, yeah, we're playing 500 hockey. And it's like, okay, well that's not going to get you into playoffs. You need to 500 hockey is great. If you go eight, two and O to start the first 10 games of your season or 13, four and two or whatever, like Vancouver did it. it, 10 500 hockey is not good enough when it's your first 20 games of the season. Yes, exactly. So you could like, you can lull your way to that. It's not it's nothing to celebrate. Yeah, exactly. So let's stay in the West here quick because there was a signing I wanted to touch on, and that is Nino Niederreiter signing an extension with the Winnipeg Jets, who uh, we've covered already. In uh, you know, I think last week or two weeks ago on this podcast, having a a pretty good start to the season as well as like an underrated from a play driving perspective as well. Uh, Nino Niederreiter signs a three-year extension at $4 million per year, $12 million total value. Um, He will be 31, I believe, when this kicks in. I am just 32 when this kicks in because he's 31 now. Um, So 32, 33, and 34-year-old seasons this signs him through. I don't... I'm torn on this. This is one where... A, I don't think it's horrendous value or anything like that, but I also just kind of go, why now? Because we just talked about how we didn't see Zadorov's price going down. Is Niederreiter's price going up? I don't 
think there's anything he can do to make that price go up. Like four million as he ages, like his biggest contract was that five two five one, right? And yeah. he was already on four. Like and Nino Niederreiter, like his value is so insulated in either direction, really, to me. Like we've seen him be Nino Niederreiter in Nashville. We've seen him be it in Winnipeg. Um, we've seen him be it in Carolina. Like, there's a lot of certainty around what this guy is as a player. The really the only thing I think left to change his value is career-ending injuries, but that goes the opposite direction. Yeah, and I, I still kind of th- like I I don't blame teams for not really like taking that into account for a guy yeah, who you, hasn't you had any yeah serious, especially for a guy who hasn't had serious injury history. Yeah, um, you have to acknowledge it's a possibility and then just say that sucks if it happens. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and like, I, I don't know, I, I really like the player. Like, he's a very, very good player. Um, and that's why it's like, I, I don't think the AAV is bad by any means. I'm just, I'm perpetually a little confused of what the plan is in Winnipeg. Um, again, I, I like their season. I like what they've done so far. I just don't really see the upside with this team still, even if they are again, like the 12th best team in the league or whatever, it's like, is the is the long-term outcome here to win a singular playoff round? Probably, <laughs> to be honest. And maybe it is, like, especially given what we know about their ownership. Maybe it is, but like, and maybe it is as simple as that. Maybe I'm overthinking it, um, but that was just kind of my first reaction of, oh, that seems like a bit of a weird contract. A good, like, I, I think a fair value, I would assume, like, if you told me this ends up being perfect market value over the course of the contract, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. He's probably slightly underpaid right now, given how good he can be at play driving. But by the time he's 34 years old, that might not be the same thing. And if that's not the same thing, he loses a lot of his value because he's about a half point per game player, which isn't horrendous by any means, but... It's not like if you're not driving play, then it's like, okay, well, if you're scoring on average half point game, assuming that would go down when you get into your thirties as well, what are you bringing here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm with you. If you, I'm sure if you took some sort of like war projection, you would get roughly break even on it. The downside risk being he's not a plus finisher. So if the play driving goes, you're really screwed. But I mean, He's so many thousands of minutes into being a good play driver, I think. Again, it would it will eventually evaporate, but I, I think it's reasonable to expect him to be a four million dollar player on average over the course of this contract. Yeah, I that's I, I feel the same way. Um I was just trying to see if uh Dom had posted his contract value over it, but it doesn't look like he did. So um yeah, I, I think it's fine. I like it. I feel like I'm sounding more negative than I actually am on it. It's just one of those things where it's like, I don't feel super passionate about this one way or the other. I don't think it was like this absolute steal. I think there's probably more risk than what, you know, some people want to admit, but also this is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It kind of sucks with contracts like this because just the nature of athletics, like, we know who Nino Niederreiter is, so more can go wrong than can go right. But also, you can't spend the entire time worrying about what if he hits a cliff, which, again, it is possible. But 
he feels like as consistent of a player as we've seen. Yes, I completely agree. Um, Let's move on. But uh, before we do, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to success, successful sports betting. Uh, if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up to your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right. One more signing that a um, little less important, I would say, because, you know, as we kind of mentioned, there's downside, but also there is legit upside in terms of helping the team from Nino Niederreiter. Uh, with his strong play driving. The other signing that took place this week was Samuel Montembeau with the Montreal Canadiens signing a three-year, $3.15 million contract, $9.45 in total value. Uh, He will be 28 when it kicks in. This one I thought was incredibly strange. I will not lie. Yeah, this confused me. He's been really solid for them this year. 913 save percentage in 11 games played. He has not been above a 902 ever in his career before that. How long is his career even? 40 games last year with Montreal, 38 the year before, 14 with Florida, and 11 with Florida. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I, I forgot about the Florida phase. Like, all I can think of him is Montreal and just being replacement level. Yeah, and... Those weren't great Montreal teams, but he was a big part of that. And yep. it, it's not, again, th- I don't feel super passionate one way or the other. And I'm sorry, this probably isn't the most interesting podcast thing, but like this team is probably going to be rebuilding for most of this contract anyways. So it's like that. Sure. Like that's fine uh, as a stopgap or whatever. There's definitely worse ways you can spend that money. I just, when I saw three years, I was like, "That's." I would not have guessed that he would have got a three-year contract. I would have never called that either. This is another, like, why are you doing this right now? Like, he started way hotter than anyone expected, and then you lock him in. I got yep. numbers going down, if anything, not up, right? Yeah, I would have to think so. Um, I just pulled up his last three years. So all three years now in Montreal, including this one, in 2020. Uh, 122, which was his first year, he had a negative 14.5 goal saved above expected in 38 games. Uh, in last year, in 40 games, he had a 16, a positive 16 goal saved above expected. Uh, so very solid year in 40 games, kind of underratedly solid, I guess I will say, for how poor his save percentage is. And then this year, he has five goals saved above expected in 11 games. So again, I think that's going to cool off just given everything we've seen from this guy, but. I just surprised was my genuine first reaction to seeing this. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Another thing too, this is unfair to the player, but you have not put him in a position to succeed. So like you're kind of going to be artificially driving his value down anyways over the end of this season, I assume, right? I would guess so. Yeah, like 
this team I don't think is improving over the course of a season if they're like I'm assuming they're going to be moving out pieces at the deadline again. Yeah, like they they kind of just as we've said a couple times, like they are who we thought they were. They had a mm-hmm. bit of hot goaltending yep. at the start, but Canadians yep. are very much who we expected. Yep, they're one of the worst teams in the East, and that's okay because you know they're a they're a fine worst team. Like it's not like they're acts absolutely horrible, but you know they're just a rebuilding team, which is what yep, we thought exactly. they would be. And they don't have a need to be competitive right now. No, exactly. Should you know. prefer the picks. Yep. Um, this a lot. I've seen a lot of people kind of say, "No, this probably means Jake Allen is being moved," which I think makes sense because right now they're running three goalies: Jake Allen, Samuel Montembeau, and Caden Primo as well. Um, Jake Allen is two years left at three point eight five million dollars. I wonder if they missed the boat on this one. He is 33, which is a little, yeah, I thought he was like 37. I won't lie, but like he's been pretty bad if I'm not mistaken. Um, in the recent, and he, he's been hurt a lot too, which is unfortunate. Um, but like, yeah, I guess he's been okay. He, he's just been like a league average goalie for three years, uh, played 10, 35 and 42 games. So Maybe they can find someone to take him. Like, I, I wonder if Jake Allen, if they retain, do they have a retention spot left? Uh, yes, you have. You get three that you're allowed, right? So yeah. they have one because they're on Edmondson for this year and then Petrie for this year and next. I wonder if they retain 50%, if that's someone like Edmonton would be uh, interested in. That's got to be the primary team you're calling if you have a goalie to sell, right? Yeah, especially because, like, I thought L.A. might be a team, but, I mean, Cam Talbot has been playing out of his mind, uh, and, I, they, like, they're not going to be making a change. Um, like, that's got to be the only team you probably are calling at this point, um, unless something, you know, an injury happens or something like that. But I don't know. I, I really, I'm not sure. Yes, it's not, the market for goalies is always just so weird. It well, because even like the really good goalies, like I genuinely don't know what the largest package I've ever seen for a goalie would be in the last like 10, 15 years. And yeah, I really don't know. And the in-season feels even less common. I feel like Schneider for Horvat literally might that, be the biggest one. Genu- that's a really good pull. That is, yeah, absolutely the biggest one I can think of. Yeah, I think it has to be. Which tough spot that that is the peak if you're selling a goalie, but still. Yeah, and I do think some of that is because Schneider was the exception of the rule of like a young guy who looked really good, or younger, I I should say. Because the reason that I think the market is so poor is that it's just teams never actually trade elite goaltending. Yeah, it's selection bias. Exactly. Because... The ones that do eventually get rid of the elite goalies wait till it's way too late and they're a shell of what they used to be. And if they don't, they just cling on to them and say, well, we're never going to find another guy like this. So why would we move on from him? Yeah. And that, that one, that path specifically is the one that always happens. And it's, it's what a team like Nashville is doing right now. Like Nashville should be moving on UC Soros, trying to get a first plus for him. Oh, Absolutely. But that would be I, fantastic. Yeah, but I, I'd just be floored if they actually did that. And the thing yeah, is going to be, well, 
when do you think we're going to find a goalie like UC Soros? Like, I don't know, but I don't know if it's going to matter because if you're trying to be good in three years or whatever, he's already going to be 30 something playing a ton of games. And we've just seen over and over and over again, that goalies can just fall off a cliff at times or even just decrease gradually. And it becomes less important for you to have him. Yep. A hundred percent. It does. Well, and also like, this is the the classic standings thing. Like, you know, they're going to be like six points out and be like, oh, we're, we're close to the playoffs. We can't do it now. When in reality, six points out means you're probably screwed at the deadline kind of thing. Yeah, six points out is like, wow, you have to win six games in a row just to crawl back part of that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it'll be interesting to see what Montreal's next move is. Again, another contract where... I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. I, I just don't think it's great either. Like he's he's fine. He's a replacement level goalie, I would say. Um for a team that wants to be bad, I don't like it, there's just no issue with it. Um it was just very strange when I saw it, I guess. Yeah, it was strange. Um one of the biggest defenses I have seen of both these contracts, honestly, and basically every contract that's been signed over the past year is well, the salary cap's going up. And this week, we finally got confirmation that it is planned to actually make a sizable jump this year. I believe $87 million is what the uh, the most recent report is that it would uh, be jumping up to. And that was at the Board of Governor meeting that uh, took place this past weekend. Um, if that is the case, that is very, very significant. Um I do kind of want, I, I feel like I should mention that, and we can maybe get into this, that the salary cap going up does not justify bad bottom six players getting long-term deals. Um, but if it is legitimately, what, I guess that would be four and a half-ish million dollars extra in space, five and a half million dollars, is it 81.5 right now? Um, 83.5, right? Is it 83.5? I couldn't remember if that's what it went to this year or if it was... Um, already but i think you're right like but my point is that it is a sizable jump yeah yeah it's actually i mean it's a full like decent contract uh-huh like yes it is a year you're right it is 83.5 um yeah like it, it is a legit contract or for other teams like a team like toronto if they re-sign william elander and he gets a four million dollar raise it's William Elander without having to move out someone that is currently on your roster. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'll be very curious to see how these teams use this cap space. Because uh, again, like, I think there are going to be some deals that get signed and it's just so obviously bad. And people, the first defense is, well, the cap's going up. It's like, hey, again, that's a good reason to sign William Nylander to $10 million instead of 9.5 or whatever just to get it done, it's not a good reason to sign, I don't know, Barkley Goudreau type contract is, is the one that immediately pops to my mind of like seven years at three and a half million dollars or whatever. Yes, exactly. That is a very good way to describe that. You know, that's what a bunch of them are going to do though. Oh yeah. They're like, well, look at all this cap space we have in the off season and then it's going to get used. And I don't think efficiently. No, probably not. Especially not with a massive jump when everybody's been starved for money for so long. It's a good, good, good year to be a free agent. 
yes, it absolutely is. And um, I, I think it's it makes sense that it's going up by this amount because I think this is long overdue, but also I was, we were talking off offline a couple of days ago when, you know, it first got announced that it'd be jumping by three, $4 million. And I was saying, telling you about what happened in the NBA a couple of years ago where they're, I, I can't remember the exact details, but they're, they're kind of skyrocketed, like maybe not double, but it was a lot of money that it went by, by and literally like the equivalent of 12 forwards on teams for hockey that in the NBA was getting paid $25 million because they just, they had the space. They just had something they'd wanted for so long. Didn't yeah. Burn in a hole in your pocket. Exactly. And then the following year comes up and everyone goes, well, I'm the sixth player on this team and you just gave the 10th player 25. So that means I need 35, but they no longer have that space. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's smart that the NHL is, Still limiting it, I would say a little bit. Um, like again, this is a sizable jump, but it's not like they're it's not like this is a 25% jump in the cap or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So um speaking of teams that are getting cap space as well, uh, we've mentioned them a couple times this podcast, but let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was announced today that John Klingberg will be getting surgery and will be out for the rest of the year. So that means he is officially on LTIR. And uh, that will give them some space to go and make some moves. Uh, they have currently a projected deadline cap hit, uh, cap space of $1.45 million. I don't know if Klingberg News changes that or if that's already baked into it. Um, but basically, they're going to have the ability to go add another defenseman, which they definitely need. Yeah, they do. Because the Klingberg contract didn't work. No kidding. Um, and, you know, obviously Lilligren's hurt, which is unfortunate. Um, but the bigger story with this team is definitely how few regulation wins they have. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good right now. It is not. Um, and it, it's funny because there's I've seen a huge debate online. Uh, a lot of it sparked from... Uh, friend of the podcast, Jeffler, Jeff of <laughs> debating back and forth of, is it actually a good thing? Because you can look at it one way of the team is banking all these points. Like we kind of talked about Vancouver doing earlier in the year, and it's clear they they're not playing what they, the standard that they've played the past couple of years. So in that thought they can get better and they're still banking points while they're not playing their best. The counterpoint to that is they're not playing their best and it's, it's, it's more than fair to say that it's possible this team just isn't as good as teams in year past, and that is bad when the goal for this team is to win a Stanley Cup. It's very possible to say that, and I'm scared. I think the long-term outlook is somewhat worrying that this is a pretty pivotal year and they've looked as pedestrian as they've looked since 2020, and things get more difficult significantly after this season not easier because of the Elanders. Like I, I I think this is fairly concerning. Yeah, I, I I do as well. And so just for context, they are tied for last in the league in regulation wins with Montreal, Seattle, and Chicago. Ahead of them is Anaheim, San Jose, Edmonton, and Columbus. And Calgary with uh seven and six for those teams. Ottawa at eight, who is having a meltdown. Minnesota at eight, who just fired their head coach. Buffalo at nine, who is also having a meltdown. The Capitals at nine, 
who had one of the worst starts to the season. The Flyers have nine. Like the Penguins who have hated their season have 10. So it's just they're down there with a bunch of either bad teams or teams that have absolutely had miserable starts to the season for their fan base. And I, I get like I go back and forth. I, I think in terms of if the long-term outlook, if you mean by long-term, you mean this year winning a cup long-term, right? Yes, I think this is more concerning than not. Um, especially because I and I, I don't I don't really buy into, you know, when a team is very clearly getting lucky and they're winning a bunch of two one, three, two games or whatever, and a lot of the time it just gets accredited to they're playing a good team game or whatever. I still think there's probably more than that than like they're just actively blowing leads, which is not the sign of a good team. Yeah, they just they look like a fine team. Yeah, That's really and, what it is. They don't look like a good team though. No, they have a goal differential of two when they're 12, 6, and 4. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah, like for yeah, their compared, XG's like 49%. Yeah, like they're just they're just fine. And I mean Again, if if we're looking at the long-term picture of the season, I think if you, reasons for optimism is both Bertuzzi and Domi started really slow. And Bertuzzi especially, I thought, has looked a lot better recently. Domi, I'm still not as sold on, but I think he's been better than, like, he was horrendous to start the year. Um, they've shown a willingness to scratch Ryan Reeves from time to time, which I think they should still be doing that more often for as uh, Bobby McMahon, I believe, who's going in. Uh, yeah. And he's looked a lot better as well. And then I guess the ultimate thing of if you're going to be taking the optimistic side of this is this theoretically should be the worst their defense core looks all year. Yes, that is true. If they are they can... missing two defensemen. Yes. And one defensemen that I would say both, both are sorry. I guess I should say one of Lilligren or, Klingberg, they were hoping would be an important part of the defense core, right? Yeah. So if they go and add a guy like, um, I don't know, Hannafin's been linked to them, but even more, Chris Tanev. If they add a Chris Tanev to this decor, it suddenly slots everyone down a peg. Brody can probably play a little less. It would either give McCabe a great partner or put McCabe and Brody together on a less important pair. And probably just slots everything nicely into place, which is going to help this team. Yeah. Yes. It's very important that they find someone who can do that. Yeah. But that is the other thing is it shouldn't just be a given that they're going to go get a really good defenseman because there aren't that many of them available. Yep. Which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it means you're either getting somewhat mediocre or you're way overpaying. Probably. Very, very likely. Um, again, another good spot or right spot that you can probably look both ways is Joseph Wall has looked really good this year as well. Um, yep. Again, like you can look at that as should we be relying on a 25-year-old, 26-year-old, but who's a rookie technically still? Uh, do, you know, do we think that's going to be sustainable? On the other hand, you can go, this guy's been developing in the minors for a while, has looked good on different stages of his you know, pro and, and junior career. And now he's finally he's showing that at the big level too. So this is something we want to bank on going forward. I don't know where you land on that. I don't 
feel super passionate one way or the other. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of he's probably not a top seven, top eight goalie, but I would be pretty surprised at this point if he just absolutely becomes unplayable. Yeah, especially with as much as we're talking about being down on the team or whatever, like I still think probably easier to play for them than most. Like it seems like they've found a competent starter. Yes, for sure. And again, it's it's just the difference in expectations for a team, right? Like if, if Toronto, if this was Ottawa right now, putting up Toronto's results, I would be absolutely through the roof. Yep. Excited. A hundred percent. Because they haven't done anything like this in years. And the no. goal is just to make playoffs and they would be putting themselves in a good position to do so. Much like we talk about Vancouver, right? Whereas Toronto, the goal is very clearly to win a Stanley Cup. And if this is how you're playing right now, and it's not very clear if you're going to get too much better, it's kind of hard to see how you're going to reach that level where you're winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, it gets really difficult to imagine unless something significant changes fairly quickly. Absolutely. And it's possible, you know, we've seen this team be very good for a very long time, um, regardless of their playoff success and whatnot. Like it, it has been a very strong roster and the core pieces are all still there. And it's not like John Tavares has fallen off a cliff or anything like that either. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tavares has still been hanging, hanging around, which is actually it, pretty. Huge. Y- yes, it, it is. And you, it's funny because it's one of those things where, you can tell he's got to try and play a bit of a different style of game than maybe he did at a different point in his career. It's not like he's ever been a speed burner or anything like that, but he just can't keep up to guys on the ice at times. Like he's got to play very smart and use his yes, body effectiveness. Like the old Joe Thornton style. Like you just need to be intelligent. Exactly. Which the good news for John Tavares is he is, very very intelligent when it comes to hockey so i'm not as worried about that or anything but it it is just weird seeing him kind of morph into a player of like yeah this guy's never going to beat anyone with his speed it is all just like using his big frame to charge to the net making smart plays intercepting pucks or or stripping pucks and and using his hand eye to move the puck around yeah it's kind of sad to watch in real time actually it, from a guy who's been like don like thinking or thought of and rightfully so dominant since he was sixteen years old or whatever fifteen like yeah that makes you feel old <laughs> yeah yes it does the old the old John Tavares for the R Ross or close to it days are gone yeah he's um again it, it's it's tough because it's it's funny it unsurprisingly probably everything is very polarizing with the Toronto Maple Leafs where on one hand the take can be this is the sixth year of a seven-year deal which is that is crazy to think that is also crazy but and and in the sixth year he's still playing at I think it's just slightly under a point per game pace um Maybe it's a little more under than I thought let me just try and look it up quick but he's still being very effective you know getting his points being a useful 2C where it's not like he's an absolute liability on the ice by any stretch of the imagination. The other way to look at it is he makes, what is it, 11-5 or something like that? There Or 10-5? Uh, 11. 11? That, that sounds yeah, right. And 11. he's got 20, yeah, 21 points in 22 games, so just under a point per game. But the other way to look at it is he's being paid a 
11 million dollars you want more than just capable as a 2c yes and, you should be dreaming bigger and I, again i think both of those are fair points but also this is always the situation that we knew they would be in toronto was just hoping that they would have a cup to show by by now to show for it or multiple round wins at the very least and obviously that hasn't really worked out but i also wouldn't blame John Tavares for that because he has been a very good leap since he has gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's not his fault, especially. Oh, I wish he played that fucking Montreal series, but <laughs> you never, you're never going to have that one back. But yeah, it's, I guess this was always the fear and this has kind of been the worst case scenario of it because I don't think it was ever reasonable to be like, oh, Tavares is going to suck. But the people who hated the contract immediately were recognizing that the downside was if you don't win right away, him at 11 is going to kind of suck. And now we're there, so that's fun. Yeah, and I think those people would also argue that him signing that 11 also kind of increased um, what Matthews, Marner, and even Nylander, but mostly Matthews and Marner were asking for, which... I don't think is unreasonable, but anyways, we don't, we don't, need to I don't in. buy that for a second. Actually, I do in terms of Marner, although Marner might've been said, sorry, I do in terms of Matthews. I think Matthews was going to be around there as well. I still though think the biggest issue with the Matthews contract was that it was only five years for that cap. Yeah. But Matthews cap, it was comparable to like the old Malkin deal and stuff too. The, I buy it with Marner in the sense that, not that the Tavares money made him, but just adding Tavares. He played with Tavares when his point totals went way up, right? Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Marner was getting benched the year before that, was he not still? I think so. At which point, like, the big problem is that he made your young future star into a star. Or helped. <laughs> yeah, journey, well, which yeah, actually you can't really complain about your good players playing good. So yeah. I guess yeah, Malkin Steel was five years as well. Um, yeah, I just it think, was more common. I think Eric Stalls was too. I think yeah. Sid's original one was. The thing is, though, like I just still have a bit of a hard time because literally every other big star around Matthews and Marner signed for eight basically at the same time, like yeah. or at least six, maybe seven. Um, it wasn't five. And I think Marner's deal was six, which like, again, it's closer to, it probably was overblown. Like most things are. Um, and Tavares has been a point per game player. So even if you have to pay your other really good players, a million and a half extra dollars, I can probably still buy an argument. There's value to that. A hundred percent. So, um, Two other teams I want to talk about quick. One is the Ottawa Senators. We'll stay in the East quick. As I mentioned, they're 10 and 10. Just the most up and down team I've ever seen. <laughs> like They put one of the worst performances I've ever witnessed against Florida. They had 167 minutes in penalties in that game with Florida because there was just a line brawl and all that good stuff. And then they followed up with an even worse performance against a horrendous Columbus Blue Jackets team where they just looked lifeless for half the game. And it's just so... I don't know how DJ Smith is still coaching this damn team. Is there, like, a reason I'm missing? The ownership team keeps claiming stability, which, in on one hand, I, I get there's been a lot that his... Uh, 
a lot has been going on in terms of, you know, the Dorian stuff, the Pinto stuff, but like stability only matters so far. If your team still sucks after year seven of a rebuild, stability is not important because if stability just means sucking perennial, perennial, oh my gosh, I can't talk. If stability just means sucking every single year, then you have bigger issues. Yeah, if you you want variance, not stability if you're bad, because that's how you end up not bad. Exactly. Um, they did, however, today appoint Jacques Martin as senior advisor to the coaching staff. This is one of the like big names that have been circulating as potential replacements for DJ Smith before this season even began. I feel like um, it's been a long time since I've heard that name in a coaching <laughs> conversation. Yes, it absolutely. I don't even know what he's been up to recently. No, it's he and was I don't, the classic. He was every team's next hire for a long time, but I have not heard that name forever. Holy, he's okay. He's been an assistant in New York in 2020, 2021. And then he was assistant with Pittsburgh for like six years before that. But okay. he hasn't been a head coach since Montreal in 2011, 12. Um, I just think that this feels like the biggest, like the most obvious move of like, okay, we're giving DJ Smith a week or two. If it doesn't work out, Jack Martin is coming in to be the uh, temporary head coach and we will reevaluate at the end of the year. Immediately, yeah. Because, and I honestly don't hate that because the thing is like, Ottawa's assistant coaches are not who I would want to see promoted either. And I'm pretty sure they just hired a new Belleville coach like this season. So they're not going to promote him right away either. No. Yeah, that's true. So you basically just get an adult in the room. If all else fails, you go, go to him kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm just uh, like their assistant coach is Jack Capuano. I don't want him to go there as head coach. No, probably yeah. not. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think this feels very obvious in terms of what might be coming, but uh, we will see. Again, they've been so up and down. Like they played that horrible game against Columbus. Last night was the best game I've seen them play all year against the Rangers. They win 6-2. They dominated for stretches of the game against a, a pretty solid Rangers team that, you know, that has um, been banking a lot of points pretty sil- silently in that Metro division. They have, they're 18, five and one. Like that is a hot start for New York. That is a hot start. Um, but yeah, Ottawa looked really good against them. So I, I just, I still don't know what to make it with this team. They're better than they, they're better than what they've shown. And I still believe a lot of that comes down to coaching and the style that the coach has them playing. Yeah. Do you think Martin will fix it? I don't know if they he feels. I, I just think not being DJ Smith is going to be a huge improvement. Fair. Yeah, they're they're like fourth last in XG in the league. That's insane. At even yeah. strength, that is. Per they they get caved in at five on five because and and they've been dealing they sorry, they've been dealing with some injuries. Um but at the same time. Like it just can't be an excuse. But when you're playing so much dump and chase on a team that is this that is built on their skill and speed off the the rush, it's just not effective. Like this yeah, isn't... I wonder. Do you remember the Penguins pre Sullivan? 
they were playing a lot of dump and chase, and then they fire Sullivan, and then they go possession heavy because their team was really offensively talented, and everything changes. Yeah, like they went and literally won a cup that year. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not saying that's what Ottawa is going to do by any stretch, but like, yeah, just having a guy who comes in and be like, okay, yeah, we're not going to dump and chase the puck every single time we have it at center ice. I think would be effective enough to move this team in the right direction to where they want to go. Do they really have the speed to be playing dump and chase? Like a lot no, of not, good players aren't they, really burners either, right? They don't have the speed or the the forechecking ability is really the biggest problem in my opinion. Like because yeah. they have the speed and skill. Like yeah, you're right. There's not like everyone just. There's not a ton of guys who are just absolutely flying down the ice. Like Stutzler can move pretty well, but yeah. you know. Kachuk is a bit of a choppy skater. He's not a bad skater, I would say, but it's not his strong suit. And yeah. Kachuk is one of the few guys who can actually forecheck very efficiently. But, like, you look at the top of their lineup, Stutzla, Kachuk, Norris, Giroux, Tarasenko, Batherson, um, Shane Pinto when he comes back, uh, we can throw in there as well. That list of guys are not guys that should be dumping and po- dumping the puck in and then going to have to retrieve it for themselves. It's guys who should be using the skill they have while the puck is on their stick and moving it into the zone and creating opportunities that way. Yeah, 100%. So, They're all talented puck carriers in that list, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And I, I will say, I think there are still some roster issues with this team. Matthew Joseph's looked really good this year. In, uh, like he's almost point per game, which is pretty crazy or 0.66 points per game, I guess. Um, but like the the fourth line is just useless. And Ridley Gregg has been out for a little bit. So that, that hasn't helped because he was looking like a really good piece for them. And obviously the Shane Pinto situation. So Maybe once they get a healthy lineup, that'll be good. But like right now, they have Rourke Chartier, Zach McEwen, and Kelly Parker in their bottom on their fourth line, and they're all just not NHL players. It's as simple as that. Yeah, that that depth is an ugly look. I kind of can't believe that's what they're actually right now. And that was supposed to be the improved part of this team. But like again, when you were looking at on paper before the year started, putting replacing those three with Ridley Gregg, Shane Pinto, and Igor Sokolov, who's like another 22-year-old who is probably like a fourth-line forward, but is much better than Zach McEwen, then it's like, okay, like this looks like it could be a very capable, if not good, fourth-line or whatever. Or you can put Matthew Joseph on the fourth-line, move Shane Pinto up, right? Because he's probably not a fourth-liner. But when those, as soon as those guys go out, when your 13th, 14th, and 15th options are basically unplayable, like they've gone 11-7 a couple times this year, and it's not the worst idea in the world, it's tough. Yeah, anytime going 11 and 7 is a good idea. <laughs> Pretty damning, to be perfectly honest, unless when you're a team like this, that is. Especially when those seven is Travis Hamanek, which is also another thing I hope a new coach would fix is just not playing him because he is long past an NHL caliber player. So, yeah, that seems like it would be one of the easiest fixes. Yeah. Uh, the other team I wanted to touch on really quick was the LA Kings. Uh, They've been getting a lot of press, I will say, lately of, and rightfully so, they're 15-4-3 to start this year, 7-2-1 in their last 10. Uh, they are second in the Pacific. They've now passed the Vancouver Canucks uh, by points percentage because they have 33 points in 22 games, whereas the Canucks are at 33-26. and 26. Um, They're having a very, very solid start of the season, and Quinton Byfield is starting to become the player that people thought Quinton Byfield might become. If Byfield's legit, which it seems like he is. That's a game changer. 
100%. That gives them, that is what that like X breaking talent that they're looking for with like the Dubois trade can give them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it changes the entire outlook of their franchise in a very literal sense. Yes. Like suddenly you go from very good team that has a bunch of very good players, but are they ever going to be able to really push it over the top, especially when you have to keep going up against a team that has like McDavid and Drysidle on it or, you know, Mark Stone on it and Jack Eichel versus, oh yeah, no, now we have a guy who obviously Byfield's not going to be as good as McDavid or anything, but it's like, we have a guy who can break the game open in his own sense. Yeah, we have a legitimate superstar player. Completely changes that conversation, especially when that superstar player is only 21 years old. And kind yeah. of a physical freak. <laughs> yes, he, he's a monster, which is, uh, you know, a big part of why people really liked what, you know, his potential was at draft time. And there was even people hot taking him as number one, which is funny, too, because Lafreniere is having a very solid season, I believe, as well. Um, yeah. Which is, it, it's good to see, you know, that that talent kind of fully, and it, it's weird. It's almost like when the Rangers actually give their young talent a chance, they play well. Um, Lafreniere probably, ha- he has not been as good underlying uh, as Byfield by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been an improvement on what he has been in past years. So, yeah, yeah, it's good to see positive growth out of, out of Lafreniere at the very least. We have our like NHLE tool on the site, and Lafreniere's scoring pace basically didn't change since his draft year until now. <laughs> so, like, any signs of life out of that is, is huge. Yes. Um, LA as a team. I think I'm super encouraged by their first in expected goals for percentage and second in course C4 percentage of five on five this year. Like they're back to just looking like That's the a, LA Kings of old, just Corsi yeah. gods. Daryl Sutter, LA Kings. That's yeah. been a while. Cam Talbot is playing out of his mind, but I think also how good this roster is playing also helps that, um, that save percentage probably get a little more inflated than it actually is, which is why, you know, obviously he's not going to be like, I think, I, I don't know what his actual save percentage is. I just know I saw he was the seventh ranked player in all of fantasy hockey for Yahoo. And it's like, yeah, he's probably not. I mean, he's not going to continue that, but also like he's a 930 save percentage right now. If he drops to a 915 or whatever over the year, I can absolutely see that. Or 920 yeah. even, right? Yeah, a hundred percent, but they're making it so easy on him. They're one of the better defensive teams in the league. And this is not Talbot specific. This could be driven by the backups. They're actually letting in more goals than expected at five on five. That is that is how easy the Kings have made life for their goaltenders. Yeah, I'm just like they're fourth. They give the fourth fewest Corsi against uh, attempts per sixty, and the fourth or second fewest expected goals against per sixty. The only team better than them in both is Carolina, and then yep. in Corsi, the other two teams that are stronger are the Devils and ironically the Edmonton Oilers. That's hilarious. Yes. That's <laughs> tough. Yeah. Um, Edmonton is fourth best in Corsi four per 60 and third best in Corsi against per 60. Uh, they are, uh, the playoff hunt is right back on for this, that team. But uh, yeah, w- with LA, like they look like a legitimate good team and a great team, I should say, to the point where, if they keep playing like this, I still think they should probably go find another goalie to help them for a playoff push. I don't know if that's possible, but assuming the goaltending is even just good, I think they're getting to the range where it's like, we might have to start considering these guys in that cup contender range of teams. 
yeah, the longer the longer it looks like the goaltending's gonna hold up. I think at some point we kind of can't not, right? Agreed. And and that's honestly not something I would have thought heading into the year. I thought they were gonna kind of stay at that tier of like definitely a playoff team. Could probably win a round or two, but like I would be fairly surprised if they won a cup. Whereas now it's like they're not the favorites by any means. Like they're still not as good as Vegas and Colorado, but they're probably right there with a team like Dallas. Yeah, they got to be at least close. And 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 Edmonton, I guess, will throw in there too. And, and they have just such a head start over Edmonton because, again, who knows if Edmonton's even going to make the playoffs? Yeah, never mind, be a cup threat. So. Yeah, I, I just want to kind of talk about them quick because they've been getting a, a little bit more talk in the um, media recently and, and deservedly so, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's cool to see Byfield break out, especially. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about this week? I don't think so. Do you, you- have... Uh, no, I, I don't think so either. Do you have anything on the Elite Prospect site coming out this week or no? I do. I don't know if it'll be out this week. I don't know exactly when it'll be out, but I, I have taken the EP. So every time there's a draft, the Elite Prospect scouting team gives skaters and goalies, but they, they don't exist in my mind, um, grades on a bunch of different skills. So I have aggregated the grades for every single draft-eligible skater and looked at them at a team level to see what kind of specific skills teams are targeting. And I think it's going to be like a 7,000-word article that uh, features every single team. So that should be cool. Nice. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, as mentioned, you can find Chase at EliteProspects.com, him on Twitter at CMHockey66, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, and the podcast at Last Word, or no, sorry, <laughs> Eminem Hockey Pod. <laughs> on Twitter, uh, where we post our daily parlay picks, as well as, you know, links to the signups that you can do, and uh, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you can find all my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.